Hey everyone, this is David Grams with Valiant Ministries International. Thanks for listening to this week's message. I hope it edifies, inspires, and grows you up in God's will for your life. A new episode is published every Wednesday, so be sure to tune in every week. I'd love to know how this ministry is impacting your life, so feel free to let me know by going to valiantmi.com contact or by posting a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at valiantmi.com give. Episode 65 today, and I'm titling this message, Christ in You. Now, this is something I've been thinking about all of this week and last week. It's been on my heart. It's become personal revelation to me, and this message has really ministered to me. I'm simply communicating it for no other reason than to bless you guys as it has blessed me. But before I get into it, I'll summarize what's been going on the past few weeks with the podcast. The last three messages I did were in a series called Lies Christians Believe, and it was all about uprooting religious doctrines, doctrines of the world that have snuck their way into Christian belief systems. And I used the substance of those episodes to expose those lies, those religious and worldly lies, so that we are equipped to reform what we believe so that we are walking and believing in alignment with what the Bible says, nothing more and nothing less. It was really, really important teachings that I think will be a huge blessing to you. So I would go back and listen to that series if you haven't. So with that being said, I'll get into today's message again titled Christ in You. Now this is going to be based off of a passage of scripture in Colossians chapter 1, which says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We'll get to that in a bit, but the first scripture I want to read is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 specifically, and here's what it says. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, what I have just read to you in this passage in 1 Corinthians, that was actually verses 6 through 8, is the basis for everything I'll be talking about with this message. Now, it's really important, and we're going to spend some time breaking down what this verse actually says, because it's really radical, and it's about our identity in Christ, ultimately. So what I want to focus on is where he says that the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. This is what he's saying in verse 7. So ultimately the context here is that he was trying to speak to Christians, teach Christians about this hidden wisdom of God that related to Christ. What did Christ come to do? What was prophesied of him in the Old Testament? What did it really mean? What did Jesus really accomplish on the cross? What was God's intention in having Jesus crucified, buried, and then resurrected on the third day? Why did God do all of that? That answer is the hidden wisdom of God. It's called the mystery of Christ in Scripture. And the Bible says elsewhere, we'll get to these verses, that this mystery of Christ, it was hidden from before the foundation of the world, and it was concealed in the Old Testament. There's prophecies about Christ, about what he would do, that he would suffer and that he would rise again. All of that was written about in the Old Testament, 
but it was written in a mystery, and it was something that was revealed in the life of Christ. So nobody really knew about who the Messiah would be and what he would really accomplish. We had intimations of what he would accomplish in the Old Testament, but again, it was a mystery. So Paul says, I am here to teach you about this hidden wisdom which has been revealed. It's been revealed. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, just a few verses later, it says that God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So God has revealed his intention. He has revealed that hidden wisdom from before the foundation of the world. There shouldn't be a mystery anymore. We have been given the privilege of knowing in full what Jesus really accomplished for us on the cross and how we are to see ourselves now that we have been redeemed because we have a brand new identity. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So let's look at verse 8 now. He says he's teaching that hidden wisdom of God, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul is saying that if the rulers of this age, really it's, it's demonic principalities, ultimately if the devil knew what would come as a result of Jesus being crucified, he would have done everything in his power to stop the crucifixion, not to instigate it. Part of the reason why the intention of the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of the Messiah was concealed in a mystery was because if it, if it had been clearly stated, the devil would have known that and he would have tried to stop the crucifixion. The mystery of Christ was hidden for us, not from us. But what I want you guys to remember specifically is at the end of verse 7, where it says that this mystery was ordained before the ages for our glory. Now we can think about this for a second and say, wait a minute, I thought God is the one being glorified in all of this. And he is, he's the one being glorified. But Paul actually says here, that the hidden wisdom that God ordained before the ages was for our glory. Now, what is he trying to say there? How is it that the mystery of Christ, how is it that the, the crucifixion of Jesus, how is it that his passion, his death, and resurrection was for our glory? Well, who was being redeemed? We were. Who was being saved? We were. Who was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We were. The reason why the enemy would have tried to stop the crucifixion if he knew what would happen was because the result of the crucifixion and his resurrection would be the human race being redeemed from the old man, being redeemed from death and corruption, and becoming a new creature in Christ that would again reflect the image of God. The reason why Paul said that the mystery of Christ was for our glory was because Jesus' death and resurrection was about changing mankind. It was about recreating people. It was about seeing them become who they were originally created to be. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we are actually glorified together with Christ as a result of being joint heirs with him. And if you do a little bit of studying, I'm not going to get into this right now, to be glorified together with Christ means to become ultimately a glorified improved version of yourself. It's an enhanced 
version of you. It's a prime version of you. That's what it means to be glorified. When something is glorified, when a person is glorified together with Christ, that means they become a completed and perfected version of themselves. They become the person that God saw before he made them, before he knit them together in their mother's womb. Because there was an original intention for God creating mankind. The Bible says in Genesis, he wanted to make us in his image. And as a result of sin, we lost the ability to bear that image perfectly, to bear that image the way he always intended us to bear it. But as a result of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again from the dead, fallen people who had totally lost sight of what they were created for were remade into something like of his nature. Jesus did not just die on the cross so that we could merely be forgiven and have a lifetime hope that one day we'll go to heaven when we die. That's part of it. But the reason why Jesus died, the mystery of Christ, why the Messiah came, why he was crucified, why he suffered, that was for our glory. It was so that we could become something new, so that we could be glorified, so that we could become an image of Christ again. Christianity was, ne- was never about, nor was it ever intended, to be about just reaping some earthly benefits as a result of changing a belief system. It was never about that. It was about becoming something new. The truth is that the reason why God kept the mystery of Christ hidden until the crucifixion was because if the devil had known what we would become as a result of giving our lives to Christ through faith in his death and resurrection, then he would have tried to stop the crucifixion with all of his power. It was never about Jesus just forgiving us and saving us so that we go to heaven when we die. Because what's the kind of effect we have on this planet if the only thing that we receive is just eternal life at death? This earth is under a bondage of corruption, the Bible says. There's people that are dying and going to hell. And the intention of the devil was death, stealing, destruction, killing. He wanted to destroy people's lives. And a Christian who simply goes to heaven when he dies is not someone who's really going to be a vessel to prevent the death and destruction that the devil is trying to produce in this earth. Somebody who is forgiven but isn't changed doesn't have much of an effect on this planet. It was prophesied in Isaiah that God would use people to be his salvation in the earth. To the ends of the earth, the scripture actually says. The verse itself, it's actually Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. And it says that I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 13, the apostles taught that this verse was a prophecy about people who would become Christians. That Christians would be the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. That salvation began with Jesus, but the process of salvation in the earth was continued with Christians. The church, the body of Christ. God raised us up. Christ died and rose again to change us so that we could be the vessels of his, of his salvation that he wants to work in the earth. The devil was not afraid of us simply dying and going to heaven. Of course, he didn't want that. But what the devil was afraid of 
was us becoming representatives of Christ. He didn't want us to be changed. Because as soon as we're changed, as soon as we're glorified, we inhibit everything that he wants to do. We become his kryptonite. The mystery of Christ, the original intention of the Messiah's death and resurrection, was not about giving us a, a citizenship in heaven when we die. It was about glorifying us. It was for our glory. It was about changing us, making us into a glorified version of ourselves so that we take on the nature of Christ. And all of a sudden, we become the instruments of his salvation, walking and living like Christ, destroying hell everywhere we go. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus gave life, healing, and peace everywhere he went. And if the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus did the opposite of that, Jesus reversed everything that the devil did throughout the course of his, throughout the course of his entire life on this planet as a man. And if Jesus died so that we could become what he was, so that we could be conformed to his image, that means every single day of our lives, we live reversing what the enemy wants to do in people's lives. That is being his salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus died to make us into that, not just so that we could go to heaven when we die. And that intention, that purpose for our existence, how that would be accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the mystery that was hidden from before the foundation of the world. It was when the Messiah comes and when he dies, what kind of effect is that going to have on mankind? Who will people become as a result of what the Messiah accomplished? That's the hidden mystery. That's something that God knew from before the foundation of the world. And that was hidden until such a time as this, so that we could know how he sees us, what Jesus did for us, what he really accomplished, who we are in Christ, and that we can literally walk every day destroying the works of the devil, reversing what he does in, people li in people's lives, and being his instruments of salvation. That's why we were created. Okay, now let's go to the verse that I first mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and that was Colossians chapter 1. So we're going to start reading in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, just so we have the beginning of the thought. Colossians 1, 24, starting there, Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. That's where we'll focus first, but I'll keep reading. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, to the saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Okay, now there's a lot there. Let's start with the first thing Paul said. That he became a minister according to the stewardship from God. In other words, he's just saying, I became a minister and I've been made a steward over the gospel. God called me to be a minister of the gospel is ultimately what he's saying. And it was given to him to fulfill the word of God, and that word of God is the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. So this is what we've been talking about, the mystery of Christ, right? And he's saying, God called me as a minister 
to fulfill that word of God, which is that hidden mystery. So Paul says, my life, I am here on this earth as a minister to fulfill the mystery of Christ. So what is he saying? What he's saying, I believe, and this is what the Lord has revealed to me, that as a minister of the gospel, as he's teaching Christians, as he's seeing them grow, as he's seeing them become who they were created to be, he's seeing the intention of Christ's death and resurrection fulfilled in the lives of people who once were lost, but now are found. When people get saved, when people are discipled, when they grow, when they learn, when they become more like Jesus every day, their lives are fulfilling the mystery of Christ. They're fulfilling that calling on Jesus' death and resurrection to glorify people, to see them perfected and completed in Christ. And the reason why this is important for us today is because every single day that we grow, every day that we grow closer to God, every day that we grow in our knowledge, every day that we become more like Jesus, our lives are fulfilling the mystery of Christ. And every principality and power, every demon and every devil in hell looks at our lives and they see that mystery of Christ fulfilled and it torments them. They see every day and experience the regret over letting Jesus be crucified as we become more like Jesus because our lives are fulfilling that intention originally for Jesus' death and resurrection that was hidden from before the foundation of the world, concealed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ first and foremost, and continually fulfilled in the lives of Christians following. And that's really cool in my mind to think about. I just thought I'd mention that. But what I really wanted to get to was where he says in verse 27 that this mystery, or excuse me, end of verse 26, that the mystery has now been revealed to his saints, to us. That's who he's talking about. Verse 27, it says, to them, to the saints, to Christians, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So here's what he's saying. God has called Christians to make known the mystery of Christ among the Gentiles. And at a modern application of this, really what Paul's saying is that Christians, believers, make known the mystery of Christ in a world of unbelievers. We reveal what God created us for, really, in our daily lives as we walk like Jesus. We reveal the created purpose of mankind to unbelievers in the way we live. That's what he's saying. Now, if you keep reading, he says, this mystery, the riches of the glory of this mystery, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what I wanted to get, you, get to. The mystery from before the foundation of the world, the reason why God created us, the reason why the Messiah was prophesied, the reason why he came was so that Christ could live in us. Christ in us is the fulfillment of the mystery. Now, the reason why this is so important is because it teaches us, trains us to understand a very important fact. That the culmination, the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament is right now. Christ living in us is everything that God wanted to do from the beginning. We're not waiting for God to do something more. Now, yes, one day... 
The Bible says that Jesus will appear for a second coming and will receive glorified physical bodies. That's a whole other subject. It's a whole other sermon. But right now, I'm talking about the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied is happening right now. As soon as you became a believer, Jesus came to live in you and you became the fulfillment of the mystery of Christ. We don't need to wait on God to do anything more. The mystery revealed, fulfilled, and completed is Christ in us. Now that Jesus lives in us, we have everything we need to do what he created us to do. We don't need anything more. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus went through all of that suffering. Not so that you could just put a saving faith in his name to go to heaven when you die but live the rest of your life like hell. No. Jesus never intended us to live our entire lives with a waning hope, being beaten down by the world, trampled on by the devil our entire lives and just hoping that one day we'll go to heaven when we die. That is a, at the very least, an inferior perspective. It's an attitude that is way fallen short of what God originally wanted for us, what he did accomplish in Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus suffered like he did so that God could inhabit us and change us from the inside out. Right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says that now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day that was prophesied. From, from the foundation of the world. God wanted to inhabit his people. And that is, that is a reality now. That is what he always wanted to do. Everything God wanted for people from before he created the universe is a reality now. It's finished, Jesus said. It is finished in his dying breath on the cross. What was being finished? God inhabiting man recreating them, people being made into the image, of, image and likeness of God that they were created to be. That was what was being finished. It was God glorifying mankind by inhabiting them. Christ in you, God in you. That is the hope of glory. So what's the hope of glory then? When God lives inside a person, when God lives really instead of that person, when we become a glove that God puts on his hand, when we become an earth suit for Jesus, what that does is it manifests the nature of God to the world around us. It makes known the gospel to unbelievers because we live it out in our daily lives. And when Jesus lives in us, it gives the world a glimpse into a glory of a kingdom that's to come. Think about it in terms of end times. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, when he returns, he's going to set up a kingdom on earth, a literal, natural kingdom, and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years and we'll rule and reign with him. And then it says he's going to purify the earth with fire, recreate this planet. It says he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, a new kingdom, new glory. Revelation, I believe, chapter 21 says, Behold, I make all things new. That's what Jesus said about the end times. So that is a glory that's to come. But when we live like Christ now, when we let Jesus live through us, we're giving the world a hope, an anticipation of a kingdom that's to come because we live a reality of heaven now. 
as a teaser trailer into a kingdom that's to come, a glory that's to come. God inhabiting you and living through you gives the world a hope of heaven. That's what we were made for. And that's what the devil's afraid of. He's afraid of you living like heaven right now. Because as soon as you do, you start reversing everything that he wanted to do in your life and in the lives of other people. It ruins his plans. It foils his plots. But we're here for that. We're here to foil the plots of the devil. We're here to thwart all of his plans. But that isn't going to happen unless we let Christ live through us. Because God inhabits you right now. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, God lives in you. And he wants to live through you. So don't cloud out that identity, that attitude, that conviction of who you are in Christ. Don't hinder yourself from seeing who you really are by filling your mind with the sewage from the world. And that's why renewing your mind is, is so important, but that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to get into that right now. I want to move on right now just to a few passages of Scripture that I want to read you guys to simply reinforce the things I've been talking about. I'm not going to get into a much teaching on them. I just want to read them because they're really important and add weight to what I've been saying. And the first passage we'll read is in Acts chapter 3. And this is when Peter and John were preaching to a crowd of people after the, after God had used them to heal a man who was lame from his birth. The man walks for the first time in his life. A huge crowd gathers around Peter and John and Peter begins to preach to them about the gospel. And he says in verse 17 of Acts chapter 3, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it, talking about the crucifixion, how they crucified Jesus, in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive, and tell the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. All right, so I read a lot, but... The verse I want you guys to focus on is where he says in verse 24 that all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. Now what Peter is saying here, briefly, is that absolutely everything that was ever prophesied in the Old Testament, you've got Moses who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua. You have the judges, you have the prophet Samuel, and the prophet Eli before him. After Samuel, you have King David who wrote the Psalms. You have Solomon and kings like Hezekiah and Josiah. You have the prophets Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, Amos. You have the prophet Jonah. All of these guys wrote about the Messiah. They wrote about what he would accomplish. They wrote 
about what God wanted to do in the earth, in and through humanity, as a result of the, of the Messiah's death and resurrection. And Peter is saying that absolutely everything they wrote is fulfilled right now. Everything about the day that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead, all of that is fulfilled in Christians right now. We are not waiting on God to do something else, to do something more. God did everything he's going to do. We already have within us the potential to become who he created us to be. As Paul said, Christ in us right now is the hope of glory, and it is the mystery of Christ fulfilled. It's finished. Let's go to one more scripture, and this is what I'll end this message with in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 9, talking about Christians, speaking to Christians, Peter says that you are now receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What he's really saying there is that we now possess the final targeted goal of salvation. We, have, we are now receiving, you could say, the finish line of salvation. And then he says in verse 10, Of this salvation that you now have, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering, the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, I love this passage so much. In fact, it's one of my favorite things that Peter ever said in his epistles. And the reason why I love it is because he's saying, and this to me makes it sound sound like such a privilege to live the life that I have now, that everything that the prophets and saints, heroes of the Old Testament said, everything they wrote about, They weren't writing for their own benefit. It was for our benefit. Everything they wrote, the Bible says they saw afar off. It says they didn't receive the promises, but seeing them afar off, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in this world. That's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. So what the prophets of the Old Testament were seeing was a reality that people would live in the future as a result of what the Messiah would do. Those future people were us. The prophets were seeing the life that we would be given as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. They never saw that for themselves in their own lives. They never got to experience what it would be like to be a Christian in the days that we now live in. But they hoped for it. They ached for it. They longed for it. They dreamed of it. They had visions. They wrote it all down for our benefit. And they passed the baton to us. Everything that God wanted to do on this planet, through people, he wants to accomplish right now. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that there's a, there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven watching us. They're looking at the life that Christians are living right now. And they're crying out. They're hoping that one day, We'll start living. We'll start walking out everything that they said would be a reality for us right now. The saints and prophets of the Old Testament could only dream of what is a reality for us as Christians right now. 
And yet so often there are so many of us as believers that cast doubt on what we have. We cast doubt on what God is doing. We doubt his goodness. We doubt his power. We doubt his work in us. But sometimes we forget that the life that we have the privilege of, privilege of living now is exponentially, astronomically greater than the life that the saints of the Old Testament lived. And we read about these amazing stories of the miracles and the resurrections and the battles that were won miraculously among the ch children of Israel. But they were living a life inferior to the one that we have now. At least that's what they were trying to tell us. Somebody like Isaiah, for example, he was one of the prominent prophets of the Old Testament that wrote about the reality that Christians now have. He was someone who was trying to tell us, look, there is an amazing life that is coming as a result of what the Messiah is going to do. I can't experience it, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it afar off. I'm seeing it in dreams and visions. And I'm writing about it so that people who do eventually live during this time, which I don't really know when it's going to come, but I'm seeing that some, sometime in the future, thousands of years later, someone is going to hear this message and they're going to be the fulfillment of everything that God wanted to do on this planet. And I imagine Isaiah was probably thinking, man, what it would be like to be born in that time in the future when people will be able to walk with God, when they'll be able to live as his vessels, when God will inhabit people, when God will use them to do miracles and signs and wonders, when, they're, when they'll be so full of God that they walk like Jesus, free from sin, free from bondage to their past, free from regret and depression. The prophets of the Old Testament, they saw the life that is available to us now. And they passed the baton, and they're waiting for us to start believing in what Jesus did for us so, they, so that we can start walking out what they prophesied. Don't doubt what you have as a Christian. Do not doubt what is available to you. Do not even for one second entertain the thought that God needs to give you something more. He's already given it all. Everything that prophets foretold from Samuel and everyone who has spoken, they all prophesied of these days right now. The work is finished. Start believing that you really are who God says you are. People like King David and Solomon, guys like Gideon, Samson, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're cheering us on in heaven right now. They're seeing the life that we have. And they're jealous, really. They wanted so bad to have what we have now. And they never saw it. They could only dream of it. And we're living the life that, that people have envied for thousands of years. All the heroes of the Old Testament, they want what we have. So what we have must really be something special. And if we don't see it that way, our minds aren't renewed. If we're not excited about the privilege and the blessing that we have as being a Christian right now, then I think we're ignorant of what Jesus really did for us on the cross, what he really accomplished. And that's why we need to be in the word. We need to see the promises that are available to us. We can't live our lives willfully ignorant of what the Bible says about us. All the prophets and saints of the Old Testament, even people like Paul and the apostles, these guys were tortured. Some were crucified, some were pulled apart by horses, some were sawn in two, stoned, clubbed, thrown over buildings. 
you can look up both in scripture and in, in church history how these apostles and prophets were killed because of what they believed. And they died hoping that one day we would pick up the baton and start walking out what they said and knew would be a reality for us. And if we think that we don't need to have the knowledge of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, if we think that we don't need to be in the Word, if we don't think that we need to really start living out what Jesus says we should be living out, if we think, if we get complacent and think that, well, I'll just be satisfied with my life of just getting by, making ends meet, if that's what we're going to be satisfied with, then we're spitting on everything that the apostles and prophets bled and died for. We are not called to be mediocre. And if that's what we're going to be satisfied with, then I believe that one day we'll stand before Christ and have to answer for that mediocrity, for that idleness. Jesus, the apostles, and all the prophets, they suffered and died so that we could become something. And if we're going to honor their sacrifice, we need to start getting in the word, renewing our mind, believing what we read, and stopping at nothing until we see everything that was written become a reality in our lives. Because we were made to be glorified, conformed to the image of Christ, inhabited by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and instruments of his salvation to the ends of the earth. That's all that I have for this message, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. Feedback is always appreciated. And share this podcast with others. Let's spread this message of reformation. If you haven't yet, be sure to visit the website at valiantmi.com slash podcast. That's V-A-L-I-A-N-T-M-I.com slash podcast for more information about this ministry. We're also involved in a church plant right now. If you'd like to know information about that church plant and how you can support it, go to valiantchurchmn.com. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at valiantmi.com give. This podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you'd like to ask a question that you'd like answered in a future episode, you can ask it at valiantmi.com contact. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and until next time, through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies.